Did you know about one in nine people over age 65 have Alzheimer's disease? The AHEAD study is looking for people ages 55 to 80 to join the National Institutes of Health-funded AHEAD study. The AHEAD study aims to prevent Alzheimer's disease before symptoms appear. Discovering a treatment that targets brain changes early means doctors may one day prevent memory loss. Help us get ahead of Alzheimer's. Visit aheadstudy.org. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 109. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Monday, Steelers Nation. Dave, how you doing? How was your weekend? Uh, we made it to April, <coughs> and we made it through April Fools, and all, you know, all like that. So uh, uh, that means the pro day circuit, you know, winding down and all like that. A lot, lot of good sports on. Enjoyed a couple of those especially those uh, ladies' uh, Final Four basketball games. They were quite uh, entertaining there. So uh, uh, interesting week coming up uh, as we start getting closer to the draft. And I think we're going to have, what, a a roundtable podcast, uh, uh, hopefully close out this week with that on Friday. And uh, we got a live stream tonight. So a lot lot still happening here uh, moving forward. Hopefully, we'll be better than the refs were in that national title game mm. for the uh, women's championship between LSU and Iowa because they were in in, a, in two words not good, not good at all. Yeah, they uh they they made it more about them than they than, than they probably needed to. But uh, oh, you know, overall, I and you know, uh, like I said, the uh, that Iowa game uh, the other night you know, as part of the final four was very entertaining. And then, uh, it, it looked like LSU was going to really, really handle, uh, Iowa, you know, and they did ultimately, but, uh, Iowa made it close there in, I don't know what, about halfway through the third, third quarter and a little bit into the fourth there before I was just too strong. But, uh, once again, it was, it was an entertaining weekend of sports and, uh, the Penguins, you know, won their game against the, uh, against the Flyers last night. So that was fun to watch as well. And the Pirates, they're there too. They're they're hanging around. One and <laughs> yeah, two and the Pirates. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave, let's get into some Steelers talk. Not really anything major happening over the weekend. So this is just kind of more discussion and just us kind of talking through it here on a Monday. I did want to kick off the week, though, with the essentially the pro day season concluding. I believe Montana State is in a couple of days, and there are going to be individual workouts held for some injured players, including Devon Witherspoon, Miles Murphy, guys like that. But the actual school pro days are essentially done. So I wanted to tabulate all the tracking that we did and all the Steelers spotting that we uh, went through over the last month of March and just to see what the results were, the final numbers ended up being. And so that article is sticky to the top of the page on Steelers Depot. Officially, Mike Tomlin, Omar Khan went to seven pro days this year altogether. Clemson. Georgia, Michigan, Iowa, Iowa State, Ohio State, Alabama. I know we recapped that on, I think it was Friday's uh, podcast there. So uh, I think what's interesting here is the coordinators, positional coaches, where those guys were at. And I have that tabulated as well. 
Leading the way is Pat Meyer with five stops, Northwestern, Ohio State, Alabama, NC State, and Tennessee. Terrell Austin, defensive coordinator, was at four, Clemson, Georgia, Iowa State, and Penn State. So I'm not sure if you've gotten a chance to look at the actual article yet, but just from all your tracking and kind of what you follow along, do you have any overall takeaways on what Pittsburgh did or did not do during this pro day cycle? Uh, first and foremost, I thought maybe we'd see Tomlin and Khan at maybe one or two more uh, pro days than, than, than what we saw them at. What was it? Seven, I think, in total there. I was kind of thinking maybe they'd show up to, uh, I don't know, Tennessee and uh, a couple, maybe a couple more in there. But I mean, I, it's, it's, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't gasp or anything like that. When, when I think the when, league meetings probably hampered yeah, some of those troubles. And, and shame on them for, yeah. you know, uh, at least some of these pro days, can't you have a little pause there and run them maybe, uh, uh, you know, maybe into this week of April or something like that. There's got to be a better way uh, uh, around those because it's not or, like. Or just put the league meetings this week when they're done. Yeah. Like, why would yeah. you? The league meetings don't have to take place in, in mid-March. Uh, let's see. Uh, maybe a bit shocking that we didn't spot Matt Canada at all, you know. Uh, I didn't expect to see him out there a lot, but uh, not seeing him at all. Now that doesn't necessarily mean he wasn't, you know, at because sometimes he. I mean, he's he's a hard, he's a tough one to. I I think going back to last year, he's a tough one to kind of pick out in certain instances. But uh, I mean, we feel fairly confident that that you know uh, he he wasn't at any of at least the major ones there. Uh, not shocking that uh, Pat Meyer. You know, uh, was spotted at several of these. I, I thought maybe we'd see him maybe at one or two more uh, than than we did. Carl Dunbar, I really thought we would have seen seen him at maybe at like the Florida uh, uh, Pro Day and and maybe the Wisconsin one or something mm-hmm. along those lines uh, there. Uh, but uh, obviously, we didn't hmm, see if anything else. Uh, Frisman Jackson, I I, I kind of envisioned seeing him one or two more times than 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 what we ultimately did. But uh, once again, it's not like, you know, we might go back through this over the next week, you know, trying to spot check some some pictures that may have surfaced in some of these pro days. And inevitably, we don't we add like two or three, you know, spottings to this thing moving forward. So maybe maybe a position coach will be in there. Yeah, this list, just to be clear, is not 100% exhaustive. I'm sure we're missing something, although I like to think no one has a list like this aside from actual NFL teams. I mean, we ended up spotting the Steelers at 85 total pro days this year. We have names for 83. That's better than our, our numbers last year, which sat in the 70s. So I think we're we're about as thorough as, as two guys on the internet can can possibly be. Let me just ask you, does it mean anything to you that offensive line coach Pat Meyer was at five stops and essentially, to our knowledge, Matt Canada did not go anywhere? And for reference, he was at five last year, all the top quarterbacks in three in 2021. Prisman Jackson not being anywhere besides Pitt, again, that we're aware of. Does, it, does that even signify more an offensive, offensive line-minded approach to the draft, or is this kind of just noise? Oh, I think uh, you have to take this into consideration here. And uh, I mean, what does it mean about, you know, Grady Brown, us not spotting him at more, more, more places here, you know, uh, I, I do think, I mean, everybody would agree listening to this, that this team's probably going to draft an offensive lineman uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, and with the way some of these pre-draft visits have been 
shaping up with some of these center capable guys. It, it probably won't be a shock if they take two offensive linemen uh, in, 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 in this draft as well, too, with one of them potentially being a center based on what they did during uh, during free agency there. So, I mean, the thing to read into it is, yeah, we have spotted Pat Meyer at 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 a lot of places here. So and especially the places that they have spotted him, you know, were 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 where there were reputable, you know, uh, uh, top of the draft kind of players here. Yeah, and I would say five trips for a positional coach. I know a couple of them that would have been Ohio State and Alabama were alongside Tomlin and Kahn. He was at Northwestern, NC State, and Tennessee, uh, basically flying solo. That is about the max you're going to see for a positional coach. That was more than any positional coach last year. So I think generally, if you have positional coaches, two to three to four places, that's pretty notable. Wouldn't expect the guy to be at six or seven. If you're at you know zero or one, that's pretty notable as well. So that's the way that I view things. I think it is interesting to see Meyer so heavy, heavily represented and not really seeing much from the skill position uh, groups with, with the running backs coach, wide receivers coach, OC, which is kind of the pass game coordinator in Pittsburgh. And then defensively, I think you saw, you know, pretty, pretty good travels uh, for those guys with Austin and, um, excuse me, uh, Carl Dunbar and Grady Brown, Aaron Curry. So I think those guys were pretty well represented overall. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out the uh, the reason behind the North Carolina State. Uh, I guess uh, uh, that uh, Zavala, right? Is he, I haven't watched anything on him. Is he going to be center capable? He was primarily a guard. They have another NC State guy, Grant Gibson, that mostly played in the middle. Um, you could, I mean, you could probably try to put him at center if you wanted to, to try to increase that versatility. I'm not entirely sure on his background if he has played a bit of center in the past or not. Um, I think he's primarily viewed as a guard guy, but you know, provided you're not too incredibly tall, then you can probably try to kick the center if if a team really wanted you to. Okay, yeah, that was that. That was one. Uh, he was the Fairmont State kid too, wasn't he? Former. Yeah, he had transferred up from Fairmont State to NC State. And I will say, for whatever it's worth, Pat Meyer coached at NC State for quite some time. So maybe that's a little bit of a homecoming, knew some people there. And maybe that was one reason why he decided to, to make that stop. Okay. I, I think of all the places that, that, that Meyer was spotted, that might have been the most head scratcher. Yeah, that was probably the most curious one, the one that you would not have expected. But because a guy like uh, him, what was the name of Zavazala? Am I saying that? Incorrectly, probably. Zavala. Zavala. Yeah. Um, he was not that combine invite. He was one of the biggest snubs. And so you didn't, okay. you didn't get to watch him work out at Indy. And so you probably want to send a coach there if you're really interested interested in that guy because you want to see that guy actually uh, work out in person. Okay. And that talk to him sense. as well. Um, so so that makes, I think, sense overall. What do you make? And this is maybe a little tinfoil hat of me here, Dave, on a Monday. Danny Smith being at two pro days. I know it's only two, but... Usually that guy doesn't get out to a bunch of pro days. He was at Clemson in Georgia. They both have kickers that are draft eligible. Last time he was at two pro days, at least two pro days was 2021. And that was for two punters in Max Stuffy and Presley Harvin. And of course, Harvin became a draft pick. So does this mean anything? Just given that Chris Boswell was bit injured last year, not his best season. The fact that Danny Smith's going to some pro days that have a couple of top kickers. Man, unless they do some willing and dealing and pick up and you know a couple extra late round picks here, I, I sure uh, do. Do I know 
that they're not going to draft a kicker. I mean, I, w- I would certainly hope that they wouldn't. You know, uh, I, I I view this as more of you know potentially bringing one of these you know maybe one of those two guys in as undrafted free agents because they do need somebody uh, in, in 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 camp to probably alleviate some of the wear and tear on Boswell. But unless Boswell's got something chronic going on or something that we don't know about, you know, uh, then then I I would be shocked if they. I hope they don't draft a kicker. <laughs> uh, you know, after spending, you know, we we've seen this team before spend a what what a six round draft pick on a long snapper. You know, obviously uh, Harvin, which I you know, a good thing he's stuck. Uh, but uh, at least for now, but. Yeah, bring bring somebody if you want somebody to push Boswell. Assuming this isn't injury related, just just sign an undrafted free agent. I think that's the more likely path right now than actually drafting one. Although I can't rule it out, as crazy it may sound, just based on the evidence that I'm looking at right now. But even still, even if it is an undrafted guy, to to have your coordinator go out and, and, and check those guys out is to me at least a little notable because you don't have to go send your special teams coordinator to go bring in an undrafted kicker if he's only there basically for the summer to preserve Boswell's leg. So I don't know. My antenna's gone up just a little bit on that one. You know, no no chance he's looking at the long snappers from either of those schools, right? Um, do they have any? I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> Shame on me for not knowing the long snapping of, of Clemson and Georgia. Um, I know the top long snapper in the draft is from Central Florida, so that's yeah. that's where my knowledge kind of starts and ends. But I'll have to check. Anyway, I, I just know both those schools. I think Clemson, it's what uh, what's his name, BT Potter, and I think Georgia has one as well. Um, the top kicker, they it's not one of those guys, so. It's not like they're looking at uh, the Maryland kid or I think the kid from Michigan, but just want to note that still because it did catch my attention. Okay. And then from the uh, scouting department, uh, Dan Rooney, a busy man, Dan Rooney Jr., I should say, 10 pro day, seven for Mark Sadowski. I'm really watching where Mark Sadowski has been because I know Omar Khan talked about that Andy Weidel sets the board, but Sadowski and Sheldon White and I believe Dan Colbert help kind of create the information that will create the board for Andy Weidel and, and, and Sadowski really was kind of all over the, the U.S. this year. He wasn't really in a zone or a region, which basically every other front office guy was. Sadowski was at Northwestern, UCLA, USC, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Florida State. So we're getting West Coast. We're getting South, Southeast. We're getting the random Northwestern one. I mean, this guy was kind of all over the map. Yeah, uh, I don't know. This will be one of the things that we look back at, right? Especially mm-hmm. with with having a new general manager and all, uh, uh, to see if we can, if, if any of these blues clues mean anything. And then once again, you know, people were saying, "Well, I, I, I heard you know Mike Tomlin say, uh, you know, uh, trying to play some gamemanship uh, this year. We'll see." You know, uh, when it comes to where they went and where the first round pick obviously uh, comes out of and 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 that kind of stuff there. But I don't know if we can read into too much more stuff, especially when it comes to Sadowski or and I think you wrote up that you expected to see Casey Weidel maybe a few more places uh, than we did. Yeah, and maybe that's just faulty thinking uh, from my part, but only three and they were all very local Duquesne, which basically was kind of the. PSAC local pro day, it felt like uh, West Virginia and Shepherds are so really just a driving distance to, to all three of those places on Weidel. I know I'd asked you, I think uh, last week about Andy Weidel, but him being at one, maybe, maybe two, if he was at Pitt, but one, he actually had the, to travel to that was Penn state. Does that surprise you that, you know, Weidel with the scouting background 
really seem to be, to our knowledge, awfully limited on the pro day trail. I thought we might see him out a little bit more, but somebody's got to man, man, man the phones, I guess, you know, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know what to think about that. Uh, I did have a question though, about Dan Rooney jr. What's the correlation been with him over the years and maybe potential first round picks. I hadn't really studied it too closely. I don't really believe there is one. Um, he's often with Tomlin and Colbert and, and this year, Omar Khan and Rooney was at places like Clemson, Ohio state, Alabama, and then was kind of doing some East coast type stuff, the Carolinas. I don't really necessarily see much of a correlation in terms of predicting uh, who they'll take based on Rooney Jr.'s travels. And based off of that kind of that first round candidate list that we built sort of went through on what Friday there. I mean, uh, the only one really that has the asterisk next to it and it's explainable would be the, the, the Penn State one. Right. And then you see Joey Porter Jr. come in for a visit, which is probably because Tomlin slash Khan could not make it after that Penn State Pro Day with the league meetings still going on. And again, I think the whole Pro Day schedule sucks. I think just in the way they jam pack this thing into a month, the way they put the league meetings over top, free agency, I just think it's a total, total mess. But that's a whole rant for a different day. Um, if you haven't looked at the post yet, what what scout do you think we saw the most? What area scout do you think we saw the most this entire cycle, Dave? Oh man, yellow hat Gorsuch. <laughs> yellow hat Gorsuch. He's like our curious George, the man in the yellow hat, Mark Gorsuch. Twelve schools we saw him, but that yellow hat makes it easy. It sure does. And then I mean, I know me personally, I was able to pick out uh uh Mike Butler uh and and uh Kelvin Fisher quite easily. Yeah, and I'm pretty good spotting Phil Kreidler. So Kreidler was at again to our knowledge is probably more here, but from what we've tracked, uh, twelve for Gorsick, ten for Kreidler, ten for Fisher, eight for Mike Butler. And so those were the the leaders. And 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 in terms of what do we take away from the area scouts, not much because they have regions that are going to see these guys because it's in large part due to their region. Um, occasionally for some smaller schools and guys where you know, okay, Mike Butler goes to Princeton, he's going there to see. Uh, Andre Yosevos because there really aren't a lot of other Princeton prospects. So you take some note there, but um, you know, those are regions and, and the regions have changed and we won't get into all those details right now. But aside from the, the area is kind of changing. It's not uh, a ton to take away from here. Okay. So that is the uh, pro day post. Um, I, I do want to mention as well. I think actually one thing that kind of has happened over the last couple of days, especially Friday, we, we know a, a Several more visitors that are coming in or have had had visits with the Pittsburgh Steelers, those top 30 pre-draft visits. And I, I don't believe we talked about them before. If not, then uh, I apologize if I'm repeating myself. But new names to that list include Purdue wide receiver Charlie Jones, North, or North Dakota State offensive lineman Cody Mock, Wisconsin defensive lineman Keanu Benton, and Kansas State cornerback Julius Brent. So, Dave, your thoughts on these new names that have been reported to the Steelers pre-draft visit list? And and did we have a uh, did, did we talk about the wide receiver out of uh, what Ole Miss? We did talk about Jonathan Mingo okay. a little bit, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I mean, it it, it 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 looks like you know wide receiver at some point once again is there's going to be a wide receiver in this class. You know, I I think that's a takeaway uh, for sure at this point, and. It was good to see. I mean, I think that that kind of backs up with Benton coming in that he does match, you know, 
at least they wanted to get a, you know, talk to him a little bit more and probably matches up the fact that Dunbar Dunbar didn't make it out that way. So that, so that adds up. I, I wasn't shocked to see his name on the list. Uh, Cody mock, uh, you probably want to bring that guy in for obvious reasons because, uh, a, he's so versatile and B, I mean, he, you could really see him, you know, potentially being a Pittsburgh Steeler if they didn't get alignment early, you know, uh, kind of a mid mid round, uh, move around and look, potentially, we don't know how much center he has in his background, which I don't think is much, but he did show, uh, at the senior bowl that he could move around and play all those positions. Now, I, I, I don't think they would obviously look at him as a tackle, uh, more as an interior guy, but, uh, I, I, it brought a smile to my face that they brought him in. I, I yeah. don't, I, 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 do I think from where I sit right now, he'll ultimately be a draft pick? No, but I don't think you can discount him either because he was brought in. Oh yeah. You certainly can't discount it because you're getting that top 30 visit. And he's a guy I wrestled with because I think they do like him a lot. I mean, he was the guy that was primarily a tackle left tackle in college and throughout this pre-draft, pre-draft process, teams have tried to make him versatile by playing him at guard, playing him at center, all those uh, things he did at the senior bowl, but it's probably it's a big learning curve for him because it's all pretty new to him, but he is physical. He is nasty. He does have good size, doesn't have great length. I don't know where Pittsburgh might best view him as a guard. When you already have a bunch of guards, maybe try him at center. Um, he doesn't have that length and the overall frame that Pittsburgh's looking at and tackles when it comes to him versus Darnell Wright, and Daywan Jones and names like that. But I do think they really like this guy. Uh, Dan Colbert was at his pro day uh, last week. And so I think that's, that's pretty notable to me. I kind of want to mock this guy to the Steelers, but I just don't know where, where he would fit. I, I, I would put him either at 32 or 49. That would be the range for him if I was putting him in a mock draft. But I think in terms of if he was the pick, where do they envision playing him? How do they envision getting him on the field early? If you're an offensive lineman drafted high, generally speaking, you're going to be playing right away. I'm struggling with that. Well, I'm struggling too with some of these, you know, potential. It's it's one of the things, you know, if, if it's a top, top, you know, first or second round guy, how do you, how do you go about getting that guy on the field? Right. That's what I'm saying. Where would you play a Cody mock in year one? Right. If you draft him and say at 32, right. Especially with all the action that you've had during, uh, during the, uh, uh, free agency w- mm-hmm. with the guard position specifically. And then, I mean, look, if you thought of him maybe as a center candidate candidate, I mean, he, he just doesn't have, you know, it, it would be more of a process with him, I would think, to get him on the field if you envision him being a, a a true center. Yeah, unless the team says, hey, we're comfortable him sitting for a year. He is coming from a smaller school. Now, North Dakota State's an FCS powerhouse, but it still is going to be a jump. And, you know, we're going to be OK because of the investments we put in, in, in the offensive line and we're going to add depth and we're going to protect ourselves against injury to every single degree. I mean, you could argue that point, but obviously, you know, generally speaking in Pittsburgh and across the NFL, your first, second round pick, you're getting on the field sooner than later. Mm-hmm. But he would be, I mean, he could be that literal chess piece across all five positions if he wanted them to play tackle, play center, play guard. Uh, I mean, that that might be the idea as his, you know, ultimate, you know, versatile guy out of the gate. And again, he's not played a lot of interior football overall, but you could try to train and, and, and work on him uh, the way that he's been kind of asked to do that 
during this pre-jab process. And look, the, this he just might end up being a guy they like and want to get to know more about that potentially four years, you know, uh, five years, I guess it'd be uh, five, how many years? Because he's probably not going to be a first-round draft pick, so he'd have right. a four-year deal. So I guess five years from now in free agency that potentially they look at. Yeah, there's a lot of value in that. And you see Pittsburgh in this you know year being no exception in terms of circling back to some of those names like Keanu Neal, uh, the latest and, and good example of that. So you have Mock, uh, Benton, again, as you said, happy to see, not surprised to see. It's the guy that makes a lot of sense that we've been talking about Keanu Benton since basically the offseason began. Charlie Jones, I know less about Charlie Jones than maybe you do or some other people do. Outside receiver, transfer, went to three different schools, a little bit light. Um, you know, decent maybe, athlete, not maybe, super. Maybe a you know, maybe a later round undrafted guy. You know, okay, it feels like he's going to get drafted. Though the receivers can be tough to tell. I don't know exactly where he's going to go. I can try to see where mock draft database has him, so, so kind of aggregated, and that's no guarantee. But I'll just see where they have him. They have him fifth round right now okay. is kind of their uh, overall, and that's just based on aggregate mock drafts being done around uh, the internet. So okay. uh, that's Charlie Jones. And then Julius Brents, another big long corner. We've talked about him as well, a bit grabby, but um, you know, physical, long man cover corner, really good senior bull week. Um, doesn't have that long speed, but uh, I mean, that's a guy that has has a rare frame for the position. Okay, I, I know our talk, we'll we'll have more talks about him. I'm sure in the uh, pre draft roundtable because uh, uh, I think guys like Owen and Tyler Wise, and, you know, have been talking him up for a while. Yeah, definitely. Um, just to kind of bounce off that in terms of the receiver conversation, I want to focus maybe a little less on the slot receiver discussion that we had last week, because I think we've kind of said all that can be said about that right now. But just where do you think this team would draft a receiver? Is it early? Is it later? Because there is a need there, especially in the slot. Well, you see Frisman Jackson seemingly not going to these pro days. You're not quite sure how they feel about the slot position and just the receiver room overall. You think it's earlier, later? Is it hard to say? What do you come in, Dave? I, I think anywhere from the third round and on, I think uh, opens up the possibility. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think they have to add, at least in the slot, um, just because you can't hand Calvin Austin anything. Even if you have confidence in the guy, you just can't assume that he's going to be the guy next year. And they might be looking for more versatile, you know, th- than anything. May- maybe a guy that does have a little bit of slot uh, in his background in college, but you know maybe uh, some X and some some Z on on top of it there. So I don't think it will be surprising. Uh, you know after the yeah after we look at it, let's say they do draft a wide receiver to say, oh okay, well this guy you know played played maybe primarily X, but uh, he he did see some time in the slot. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They want guys who are versatile because, you know, guys in this Steeler system move around quite a bit. So you don't want somebody who can only do one thing or at least isn't capable of being able to move around, doesn't have a skill set that will allow him to move around. So, yeah, that's going to be important. I'm willing to bet if they do draft a wide receiver, though, that will that somewhere through you know, the uh, uh, us looking deeper into that player in the film rooms and the statistical luck that that player will have some you know, uh, some contested catches, a, a nice percentage of contested catches in college and yards after the catch and probably a decent uh, uh, short shuttle time, right? And it, uh, in that one of the things that they, 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 
they tend to rank highly in your what they look for portion? I'll have to go back and check the numbers and a just finding a guy that does a short shuttle in a three cone is like a unicorn, especially at the combine. A lot of guys do them at their pro day, and I'll probably have to adjust how I view those numbers uh, going forward because no have one you does only them. Use, have you only used combine numbers in that in the past, or have you uh, uh, used pro day numbers as well too? Yeah, what I my my intent was to use. Uh, combine numbers for the time drills. And so because the pro day numbers, that number that you see, whose number is that? It's all hand time. So there's no official pro day number. Generally, the school puts something out. But again, where does that come from? It's all hand time. And so for pro days, I would allow things that are uh, objectively measurable, like a vertical jump, you know, 37 inches is 37 inches, Um, you know, broad jump, bench press, things like that. I would only use the, uh, combine time for you know 40 yard dash for short shuttle uh, three cone but i think at this point given how you know how many players are opting out of those drills they may have to change courses otherwise a lot of guys won't qualify simply because they didn't participate in that drill okay that uh, again those studies are coming i wanted to um, let the whole pro day cycle wind down so probably maybe by early next week start uh, pumping out those what they look for articles for 2023 Okay. Does Math Bomb start filtering in uh, uh, pro day stuff in, or does he go entirely off of combine? In other words, after the fact, does he filter in uh, if, if a player didn't run at the combine? I think he does. I don't know if he updates numbers if times are better at their combine compared to their pro day. I, I'm not sure how he handles that. Okay. That's a good question overall. Um, Anyway, so yeah, I think uh, unfortunately, I think that's the world we're we're going to live in now. You know, right. uh, I and we talked about this after the combine too. It, it just it feels like the trends. You, I think you're going to see more and more of these kids not do their because and pro- maybe primarily because of the way they had this laid out with the schedule and all. Uh, now. Uh, you're going to see less of them do the three cone and the 20 yard shuttle uh, at, at the combine now. Yeah, I think you're definitely seeing that. And again, my hesitation for not using the prototype times in the past was a, they're often friendlier for the players faster than what they would have been at the combine. And B, you're just never quite sure who has that number because they are hand timed. And so they can be a bit more subjective than what you would say an NFL combine objective number for that may be. But I think I will have to change for this year. Okay. So speaking of the slot, talk about slot receiver. I had an article yesterday, Dave, about who is this team slot corner going to be again? And we've kind of touched on that in the past, but really wanted to flesh out that thought in a post on Sunday. As of right now, I'm not sure. I mean, there are some options. There are some names. Certainly the draft has names available to Pittsburgh, but it's one of those big questions that no one really talks about that much, but it it is critical to the Steelers defense uh, figuring out who's going to be their slot corner. Yeah. And that's something I think we're going to have to wait and, you know, uh, to see what happens, obviously, for the rest of free agency, although anybody that they bring in free agency at this this point, uh, I know AJ wrote an article about this last night, I think uh, anybody they bring in at this point, you wouldn't probably view as a huge upgrade over Arthur Millette, right? I in mean, free, free agency, it would be somebody that wouldn't be guaranteed to make the team. They they may be better in coverage because Millett really struggles there. Um, as you know, Millett's a very niche rundown, you know, Mike Hilton in terms of the aggressiveness and kind of, you know, 
big dog mentality. All right. So the thing, too, about an, adding another cornerback, when you look at the guys they have under, uh, uh, under contract right now, I mean, you got what? Uh, Patrick Peterson, obviously. You got Levi Wallace. Uh, Keller Witherspoon still on the roster. Uh, obviously, uh, Arthur Millette. Uh, you brought back uh, James Pierre, who's more of obviously bottom of the depth chart special teams guy. Uh, who who else beyond that? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the slot guys, the names that you could try to theorize right now, you know, Millette has that role. Trey Norwood, you know, disappointing 2022 season, but he's a guy that this team has tried to do that in the past. You know, could DeMonte Casey do it? He really hasn't done it much in his career, but if you want to throw out names, you can throw out names. Um, again, the draft certainly has has those options available to you, but you know we've been focused so much on will they draft Joey Porter Jr. or Deontay Banks or Julius Brents or somebody like that. If you draft one of those guys, those are all outside corners. Mm-hmm. And so, how does your slot package look? You know, is a Wallace going to bump inside Peterson? Really, those guys have not done uh, much, if at all, uh, inside work at, at the NFL level. And here's my extra concern because one answer I got was. The Steelers, Alex, they will figure it out. And 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 they're aware of the problem, and, and I'm sure they're aware of it. But you just have to go back to 2021, where Mike Hilton leads to the Bengals. They cut Steven Nelson. They bump Cam Sutton outside. They went in the camp in 21 with basically it was a competition between Arthur Millette and Antoine Brooks Jr. Mm. for that slot position, and it really never worked out well. They didn't really have a good plan for it. They kind of rolled through a bunch of different names. Guys got injured. They tried Minka Fitzpatrick to, to play in the slot the first two weeks of that year, got burned by the Raiders. He was not comfortable there. They shift him back. And ultimately, they kind of did a, a split committee of Millette and Cam Sutton. You know, Cam Sutton was like their, he was the flex tape meme guy where just you had a problem in the, in the secondary. You just put Cam Sutton on it because he could do everything. And now no longer is Cam Sutton an option for the Steelers defense. And so um, my concern is we're going to get a repeat of 2021 where they go into the camp saying, really don't have a great plan for how we're going to deal with the slot corner position. And remember all the talk right ahead of training camp that, that year about, uh, and, 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 and Anton Brooks jr. And then, yeah, he, he, what he got, he started off camp injured and was like out the mm-hmm. door. Yeah. And that did finish the season with the team. I mean, it was a serious conversation. We were talking about is Brooks jr. Going to be the slot corner. And obviously he wasn't. And it became, right. they really did not have a coherent plan when they lost, you know, Hilton and, and, and cut Nelson and, and Sutton ended up kind of fixing that, but now there's Sutton's not here to fix it anymore. Right. And you're probably not going to draft a slot guy in the first two picks, right? Or no, uh, probably not. Maybe, you know, starting at 49 um, and, and will they draft what, what um, pure kind of slot corner have they shown interest in? There really hasn't been one. Now they could still draft somebody you know, Clark Phillips, uh, Keetro Clark, you know, Owen, we'll, we'll talk about that more probably on Friday show. But I, we just haven't heard those names too much, right? And what about the the uh, the uh, the other Antonio Johnson kid uh, out of Ohio State, uh, Iowa State? Yeah, that is one name that we have heard. Um, now, does he is he like a true slot, or is he kind of like a big nickel who can kind of play safety, kind of almost that Brooks Junior type mold, or is he kind of more of a cover guy? Uh, to be determined, I think really be- because he did. You know, this last year he did. He, I, I would view him more as a a kind of a big nickel guy. At least what I've seen of him so far, a candidate for that because he he did play uh, a lot of uh, 
obviously cornerback before moving to safety this past year. And I think that's where he's kind of helped his stock is that he showed he could play more, uh, uh, can be that physical guy down in the box. And then if you needed him to, you know, cover, uh, you know, a tight end or something like that. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to think any other names in terms of slot options, you know, what that guy could be just not a hundred percent. Um, and I think it's a really big issue for this team that really has not gotten much attention. Uh, the outside corner has to be looked at too to add some youth, add some speed. Guys who are not under contract for next year, that's certainly a concern as well. And cornerback is still pretty messy looking in Pittsburgh right now. Yeah, where does Ringo fit in best? Uh, he's an outside guy. Some people have thought he might move to free safety because he's a bit tight. So right. he's not going to be, he's certainly not a, not a slot option. Right. Um, and then you got strong safety discussions. There's still, I think, a lot well, then of. Well, I guess I guess it rolls do. back into ba- uh, some of the uh, 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 branch discussions. Yeah, I think you kind of circle back to him as somebody that can kind of be that versatile guy. And again, had the conversation about where exactly does he fit, um, what's his best role. But you know, Brian Branch certainly a name to consider at 17. Could he be a 32 guy? Do you think he's? I think he's still on the board at 32. Could could he could he be a 32 guy? Yeah, he could. I don't want to sit there and say he can't because he didn't test off the charts. But, I mean, somebody, I don't know, the, the head and shoulders best safety in this draft. There's a big drop-off after him. I feel like some team's going to get desperate and take him somewhere in the 20s. Okay. But I don't know. I mean, he could. I, you know, it, wouldn't, it would not shock me. Okay. All right. Uh, what else do we have here, Dave? I know that you had an article on Saturday. Um, no fifth-year option decision this year for Pittsburgh. Real, 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 real quick while we're talking about cornerbacks here. Uh, I started looking. Someone had asked me somewhere, maybe on Twitter, if I was worried about uh, Joey Porter and uh, his, 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 his production as far as you know interceptions and all in college went. And I went down a rabbit hole thinking, okay, let's, let's go back and look at some, some first round cornerbacks dating back to uh, how far did I go back? Uh, 2013 that came out of college, uh, with, with, you know, a reasonably low amount of interceptions. And particularly I was trying to look to see if I could find any, anybody with one or zero. Uh, but when I got to one certain name here, I, I, I sort of stopped and it's because that one name was hold on here. Oh, okay. uh, uh, the Florida state kid, uh, uh, Ramsey. Oh, Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he had, I think three, only three interceptions coming out. Let me see where, where was that link at that I had here? Okay. Here it is. Yeah. Uh, let me look at his college stats and game play played real quick here. Uh, he played what three seasons at Florida state, uh, a total of, let's see, 28, 38, or let's see, 28, 38, 41 games. And he had three interceptions coming out of college and zero in his final year at Florida State. So mm. if memory serves me, wasn't there some discussion saying, well, where, where's, where's, the, uh, where's the production? And look, I know we've had this conversation in the past when it comes to like, you know, Devin Bush and all like that. But, uh, and, you know, obviously probably Ramsey like, like Porter, at least these last 
couple of years probably wasn't targeted as much, you know? So I guess the question is, is how concerned are you overall with the lack of, you know, quote, I mean, interceptions, plain and simple uh, for a guy like Joey Porter coming out. And once again, this, this might've been a bigger deal. Maybe, maybe I, I was envisioning maybe writing up a post about this, but once I hit Jalen Ramsey and him, having just three total interceptions in all those games at Florida state and, and, and zero in his last, last year at Florida state. I, I just, I, I figured out, I, I just figured at that point it's, it's not worth pursuing. Yeah. Um, I forget. There was some position changes. I think Ramsey had in college. I forget the whole backstory there, but am I concerned? It's something notable. It's something to consider. I don't know if I have a good answer right now about why his interception production was low. If it was a lack of targets, I don't have those numbers in front of me. I think it's, it matters a bit more for Pittsburgh because they have been so, you know, ball hawk focused in terms of they want guys who can make plays and take the football away, not just break up passes. And so that may ding Porter some, but I still view him as certainly in contention for Pittsburgh, despite that one career interception. Right. Uh, and, and that's where I'm going with this. I, I don't think, I mean, unless they put a lot of emphasis on, you know, and once again, you'd have to go back and look at, at each individual target, how many times he was targeted, the teams, he, you know, the schemes he's playing against and all, and, and all like that. Uh, I, I don't, I don't find it as a lot of, a lot of noise in there. Yeah, and interception numbers, they can be a bit noisy in terms of, you know, a couple of lucky bounces your way. You can create interceptions and 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 all that. And um, I was trying to see how many Sauce Gardner had in his career. He did have nine. He had three each season, uh, his three years with Cincinnati, because just the profile of kind of a boundary-type uh, corner that locked things down on one side in uh, in college. Uh, I do want to note here, by the way, just uh, saw a tweet of uh, Keanu Benton's Instagram story this visit we just talked about, but Benton officially in Pittsburgh today. So we know that Keanu Benton has his top 30 with the Steelers on Monday. Okay. All right. Uh, Mentioning a moment ago about uh, the fifth year option uh, in terms of first round picks, Pittsburgh has no decision to make this year. Correct, Dave? Uh, None. Right. And that's a result of uh, them, you know, trading away that first round pick for uh, Minka Fitzpatrick a couple of years ago. So uh, no fifth year option decision for the Steelers this year. So that now, uh, fast forward forwards us into looking ahead uh, and, and, and speculating about Najee Harris a year from now uh, and whether or not the team will pick up uh, his his fifth year option. And, you know, obvi- a lot of things can obviously change in a year's time. Right. And mm-hmm. but from where we sit right now today, you'd have to like the odds of them picking up that fifth year option. Right. Yeah, I do as well. Uh, just given the offensive identity, and as you said, a year can is an eternity in the NFL, and our whole mindset and discussion could be 100% yes or 100% no based on what happens in 2023. But as we sit here today, I will venture a guess and say they will pick it up. Uh, I guess where it would become a little bit more of a uh, discussion on the Steelers' end here is uh, uh, because, look, right now, Najee has one pro because they, they tier, they tier this thing now, right. You know, with uh play time, there's different levels of what the fifth year option amount could be. There's a play time level. And then there's a one time pro bowler level. And then there's a multiple time pro pro bowl level as well, too. Uh, as of right now, 
it looks like Najee's certainly on 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 course to hit the playtime level uh 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 you know amount of a fifth year option he does have the one pro bowl obviously right now but that was not an original ballot selection so that won't count but mm. uh, there there is the 2023 season yet to go so he could obviously be an original ballot uh, Pro Bowl selection for 2023, and then that would bump them up to that to that to that middle middle level, which I believe would be the transition tag amount f- for whatever it is for a running back next year, which I envision probably being somewhere I don't know about about nine or ten million dollars. Now, once you pick up that uh, fifth year option these days, now it becomes fully guaranteed. Now, this this would be for the 2020. Uh, five season, season. Yeah. right? You know when it when it comes to that, but it would be uh fully guaranteed. But it but uh you would it wouldn't be something that you have to worry about, you know, swallowing in two thousand and twenty four. Uh, that said, his his two thousand twenty four salary is fully guaranteed as part of his rookie agreement uh, that he had there. So uh, the only way I think it really becomes an interesting discussion with Najee Harris a year from now is if, you know, some sort of unfortunate injury that cost him a lot of the year uh, or just really, really, really a poor performance by him in, 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 in 2023 as a whole. Mm -hmm. So I think it'd be some of those things that it would be easy to form a discussion around if, some of those unfortunate things were to happen with him. Right. And that is one relatively new change the NFL made because it used to be the fifth year option was not guaranteed. So there right. really wasn't much risk in picking it up unless it was an obvious player and you just kind of felt like it'd be a slap in the face to do so. You could pick it up and then just rescind it. If the player uh, didn't work out, you didn't want to pay that tag. Now it is, you got to commit to that the second that you place it. So it's a, it's a heavier discussion to have, but again, I'm in agreement with you as we sit here today, I think they will pick it up on Harris. And here's something in the research that I did for that post, uh, you know, since 2011, when that class was the first class that, that because of the new CBA at the time became the class that, you know, technically the fifth year options started on uh, up until uh, the 2019 class, because this off season we're talking about, we're dealing with the 2020 class, uh, is, is, is where the decisions are formulated around this, this off season when it comes to fifth year option. So I looked at previous history from 2011 class to 2019 class. There were 13 total running backs who were selected in the first round during those years of those 13, only four of them, mm. Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, and Saquon Barkley ultimately had their fifth year options uh, exercise. Now there's an a- asterisk player within there. You might as well add him as the, uh, as a fifth of those 13. And that was uh Christian McCaffrey, uh, because they worked out a long-term deal with him, uh, prior to the, the, the decision date on this fifth year option. So, you know, he deserves to be in, you know, included in that list there as, as five of the 13. So, a little less than 50% overall of those 13 running backs, you know, you could say had their fifth year option 
uh, uh, exercise. Obviously, McCaffrey got a deal and didn't have to uh, uh, get to the uh, fifth-year option deadline date there. Uh, you know, people will say, well, can the, can the Steelers extend the contract, uh, sign Najee to a contract extension next offseason before they get to the decision date on the fifth-year option? I mean, nothing would prevent them from doing it, but it, it would be it would be significant in the fact of the historical aspect of the Steelers doing something like that. Yeah. And just given the nature of the running back position, you know, don't commit until you have to. And even then there's obviously the big thought of don't commit ever, you know, five years, you know, replace him and then start with a new guy. So, you know, the second running back contracts historically have not looked good. That's obviously pretty low success rate in terms of fifth year options or something equivalent, even being exercised. I do wonder where that stacks up to, other position just to get the number relative, but I imagine running back being sub 50% is going to be lower than virtually any other uh, position group. Okay. So um, that's a good thought. It's a, and that's the reason why some people kind of rail against running backs in the first round. I know you're not a big fan of the idea, but that's where Pittsburgh's at. And um, you know, we'll just see how 2023 goes and take it from there. Yeah. Look, I mean, uh, you know, uh, my thoughts on taking a running back in the first round aside, if, if you did end up doing that, which the Steelers did, I would hope at least you got a fifth year out of him. Yeah, that's kind of that was a kind of the thought that we had when they drafted him because he was a bit older, you know, five years. You know, if you get five good years out of him, you're pretty happy with the pick overall. And if you have to move on, then you have to move on. Um, obviously, we're still a ways away from all those discussions, but if that's that's what ends up happening, then then I'm good with it. Okay. I do want to mention just really briefly because I was watching uh, a running back last night for one of my upcoming player profiles. I mean, I very much doubt he'll become a Steeler, but I kind of, in, in just a very selfish sense, want him to become a Steeler. Roshan Johnson from Texas. Everyone talks about the top uh, Longhorn running back in Bijan Robinson, but to me, Roshan Johnson is a lot of fun to watch. Super physical, downhill bruiser, special teams value, completely selfless, selfless type of dude, good pass protector. Um, just really like this guy overall. And he was a great athlete coming out. High school quarterbacks that was just an insane player. So um, again, he's very unlikely to go to Pittsburgh. Although Merrill Hodge was at the Texas Pro Day to scout him, um, but I just want to shout out Roshan Johnson. He might be a steal in this draft. All right, and I guess that kind of uh, was was some of your reason to write up. You know, don't totally discount the position. You know, hear me out, right? <laughs> <It's> a- <laughs> they didn't hear me out. That <laughs> was not right. heard out. Uh, yeah, the, the idea was, and I wrote that, I think, on on Saturday, just and I think Jonathan uh, Hightrader kind of agreed with the uh, thought as well. Because Pittsburgh is shifting into this run-heavy offense, you need to have really quality running back depth. It's not like where you can put everything on, you know, prime Ben Roethlisberger on his shoulders and ask him to throw the ball 50 times a game, and you can kind of work with that overall. And so, you know, A, when I suggest drafting a running back, it would not be until very late. You know, as of right now, we're talking seventh round, but you're lacking that number three running back. And if something happens to Najee Harris or Jalen Warren, certainly possible over the course of a long 17 game season, um, kind of with the committee approach that Pittsburgh has, you want to have good quality depth there, just in the way that if you're a, a pass happy team, you better have good receiver depth when somebody goes down. So you don't really have to shift uh, what you want your offense to look like. So I know that idea is not popular. But I think it makes sense based on the transition and identity that Pittsburgh is trying to build. Well, my hope is that we're not talking about a drafted running back. I'll put that out there. 
But don't you, I mean, doesn't the, does the point land though in the sense of if this is going to be a run heavy team, you can't afford to lose running backs and then have your offense try to shift mid season. I see where you're coming from, but I mean, we're talking about, you know, a third, third running back on a depth chart, you know? Right. But he could be, he could become number two in an instant. And just, right now, just it's not go the work get a couple of undrafted guys, figure <laughs> yeah. it out. Plus all you right. got, don't you have master Teague back on the, uh, uh, off-season roster and all as, as yeah. well too. I, I just would, uh, unless they pick up, you know, a couple extra picks through maybe a trade down scenario in here. I mean, if if they're going, if they wind up sitting with the picks they have currently, uh, or just you know, as a result of a trade, still end up with seven picks overall. Uh, I would hope that they wouldn't. At least that's my hope. Okay, yeah, fair enough. It's just an idea that I kind of had kicking around just because of the way that Pittsburgh is, is shifting their offensive focus. He damn sure different. better be able to play special teams. Yeah, and I, and and again, Roshan Johnson is not going to be a late-round pick, but Roshan Johnson is probably one of the best teams guys in this draft. He had eight tackles last year. There's a clip I have in my report that will get posted in a couple of days of him just lighting up a dude on the kick coverage team. So like, I just I love this guy. I think he got, you know, he was hidden behind some of the running backs that Texas had. Um, this guy is going to be a really good NFL player. Okay. All right. Did you an article on, I think, Saturday as well about uh, some XFL candidates? We were looking at this league, um, you know, just for something to, to, to kind of kill time during the offseason, but also potentially for the NFL to pick up some of these players once the XFL uh, and those leagues have their seasons wind down later this year. So talk about uh, what you kind of wanted to to get the point across in that article. Well, here we are now on April the 3rd, and this team still only has three tackles under contract. They did bring in, obviously, Joshua Miles for a workout uh, a couple of days after they had signed LaRaven Clark. Uh, he left town unsigned and has since signed with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, you look at his arm length. You look at LaRaven uh, Clark's arm length. You look at... Uh, uh, obviously, you know, the, uh, the other two they have on their contract and you just look at the decision to bring in Joshua miles alone. Uh, it, it, it leads you to believe that this team, you know, will still, regardless of, uh, what happens in the draft, that this team will still potentially sign at least one more, uh, tackle either before the draft or after the draft. Now you still got a, a few more weeks to go, uh, in, 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 in the XFL, uh, season and yes, there are a. If you look at specifically free current free agent tackles still on the market right now who are 31 years of age and under who have at least 34 inch arms, uh, it, it's it, it's a short list at this point, right? Yeah, you probably know it better than I do, but I imagine there aren't many of those players or at least guys that have some sort of an NFL resume. There may be some guy that's been on practice squads and, you know, you know, clear journeymen. But at this point, with a scarcity of tackles to begin with, even at the start of free agency, I doubt there are many great names out there right now. Yeah, there 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 really aren't at this point right now. And uh that's Cedric Aboye and you know, a few few others out there. Where's my list specifically here? Uh, where'd it go? I can't find it. Uh, uh, George Fant was on that list. I remember, but, uh, but, but overall that, that list isn't looking great at all right now. Right. So who was the XFL guy that you had suggested? I think he was a local. Yeah. He's he's actually a pit pit product as well too. Uh, 
Oh, what was the kid's name? Jones, Jared, Smith, Jared, Jared. Jared, Jared Jones Smith out of the University of Pittsburgh. He was the kid that uh, uh, he played uh, much more in his last year at Pitt, which ended up being, uh, I think, Kenny Pickett's first year uh, there. He's the one that had the knee injury during his career at Pitt, was able to ultimately bounce back at, at from that. But of uh, the real... The way I came across him is, is I was looking at the PFF grades, pro football focus grades on some of these tackles uh, this year and specifically looking for one with with long arms. And lo and behold, I, I, I quickly came across the name of uh, Jared Jones Smith. He's got some long arms. He was he's actually uh, entered this weekend as the top run blocking uh, tackle in the XFL and the sixth overall graded uh, tackle overall. So that, and, and obviously seeing his, you know, being a Pittsburgh product, uh, caused me to go down, uh, that rabbit hole with him. Uh, I think at some point they're, 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 you know, they're going to look strong at some of these X, you know, not just tackles, but XFL products overall, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I, I think Joan Smith could be a guy that they potential look, look at here. Yeah, I love the suggestion. I think it's a great one overall. He's got that connection. I know it's super kind of light, but um, what was the connection there? His uh, offensive line coach was Pat. Uh, how do you say the last name? Uh, Perlis, who's the uh, yeah. son of uh, Steelers, uh, you know, great defensive line coach George Perlis. So that that was really cool um, overall. And so yeah, I think you know the the Steelers, the NFL at large, will look at some of these XFL guys and. I think tackle is one thing to look at. I think that Jones Smith checks those boxes. I think quarterback as well. This team's going to add two more arms before they go to training camp this summer in late July. And so I think they could either draft somebody late or an undrafted for Asian plus an XFL or one of these uh, other league uh, quarterbacks that get added here uh, to round out Pittsburgh's quarterback depth chart. Yeah, uh, that, that's a great point about the quarterbacks as well, too. And I think somebody uh, hit on that in the comments uh, of that post as well, too. Okay, I don't know the name right now in terms of who that guy could be. I haven't done it, done any research on that, but could it be um, an AJ McCarron or somebody like that? Do you think another team? You know, uh, look, there's going to be several of these guys come out right uh, that, yeah. that end up on on NFL teams. Yeah, I think an AJ McCarron, somebody that has some NFL experience, probably they want as a number three um, to, to to have in camp to start. So yeah, it could be him. I think Ben DiNucci's in one of these leagues right now, and I'm also just. To go back to, to Jerry Jones Smith, I didn't realize this. I'm kind of rereading through the article. Bruce Gradkowski's DOC mm-hmm. with the Battle Hawks, which is a obviously great Pittsburgh Steelers connection there. Yeah, uh, they need to add some tackles regardless of what they do in the draft. So, And once again, I didn't go deep down this list. I was just looking. It was more of a blues clues. I'm looking for maybe a top tackle here that's played some left tackle in the in in in, in the XFL that has a maybe a tiny bit of roster experience and and really Joan Smith has really been a practice squad player uh since he came out and but he was a combine guy uh overall and actually put up you know some decent you know, I think overall agility numbers at the combine as well, too. Uh, he's only played like, I don't know, just four snaps or something like that uh, in the NFL the last couple of, 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 of years there. So there's nothing really to go on there. But but I was just trying to find a guy that might interest the Steelers. And obviously with the Pittsburgh connection and Gronkowski and the long arms and him being grading out as you know a top 10 tackle in the PFF. Uh, rankings to date. Uh, I didn't look any, I, 
I, I, I had my subject matter at that point there. So, hmm. uh, it, it doesn't mean that that will be the only guy. I just think that you could see this team sign a tackle, you know, coming out of the XFL with him, the, with him potentially leading the list of candidates. Yeah. I think they will be adding, uh, with some sort of tackle that has some sort of experience, you know, professionally, I think, and I think Jared Joe Smith is an excellent pull and a great job by you to break that down. And it would not shock me if he actually ended up being the guy that Pittsburgh signed later this year. Right. All right, Dave, anything else, sir? Do you want to get to some reader emails and close out today's show? Yeah, I think we've hit a pretty good for, for not being in, and tell people what we got going on tonight. Another, another live stream, right? Yep. Another Steelers Depot Q and a live stream on my YouTube channel. Just search the name, Alex Kazora, seven to 8 PM Eastern time. Dave and I answering as many of your Steelers questions as we can. Uh, let's see. Uh, Antonio Frazier writes in, love the show. Longtime listener who, wouldn't know what to do with uh, without you delivering the student news. I think with all the free agent signing, the, the Steelers probably jump in the draft to take one of the top tackles. They have basically secured a lot of the holes. And I think having uh, 17 uh, and one of the seconds, most likely number 49, uh, they, they can jump up to grab a starting left tackle. He writes, let me know what you guys think about that move. As always, thanks guys so much for all that you do and, uh, and covering the team. Uh, look, Antonio, I think we talked the other day. If, if uh, at least my view on this is if they were to move up at all in the first round of the 2023 draft, I, I would envision them moving up maybe a couple of spots to, to, to take a tackle. And I would think that it would probably be on sites to maybe get a Paris Johnson uh, because of his history, his pedigree, uh, the amount of games that he played in college and all like that. Uh, other, other people say, well, you know, Jalen Clark, I don't know if you want to trade up to, to, to get a, uh, a Jalen Carter. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, especially with, with kind of the baggage that seems to be circulating around him right now, uh, overall, I mean, he's a very, very talented player without a doubt. Uh, but I don't know how much, you know, this pre-draft process is, 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 is maybe hurt him. And specifically when it comes to maybe teams trading up to get him as well, too, I would think, uh, if they did move up, it would be to get a guy that could, that could potentially be their new starting left tackle. Yeah, I'm with you. I think we had this conversation on the last podcast. If they do trade up, and it's always impossible to project based on the board offers, all those caveats that we like to place, but it would almost certainly be for a tackle. And I think Paris Johnson could even be basically off the table because he might end up going top seven, top eight overall. I mean, he's going to be the first tackle off the board, so it might be too rich to do that. Um, But it would be somebody like him or maybe more realistically a Broderick Jones from Georgia where you go up, say, three to five spots to get him if they were to make that kind of move. Um, that's the, those are the guys they would go after. You know, we, we're, we're, we're asked early on in this process and on, you know, could we see what's more likely to happen, trade up, trade down, especially when it comes to first round, all those kind of questions. I, I feel a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, confident at this time in my thinking now, if they were to trade at all in the first round, it would more likely be down rather than up. Okay. I'm the opposite. I think it'll be up than down. I mean, if you're trading down, you're sitting there, you got pick 32, you got pick 49. What else are you trying to get? You know, if you were to trade down in the first round, I think if anything, they would go up. 
Okay. Uh, we will, we'll, we'll be in disagreement there. Jake Guilford writes in, hello, Dave and Alex. I know the studio signed two inside linebackers in free agency, but it still feels like there's room to add a premium long-term talent there. He says, I'm not asking for a prediction, but rather your preference. Uh, I trust the work you and the depot crew put into draft analysis. If you could choose one inside linebacker to draft, regardless of draft slot, who would it be and why? And he asked, does Nolan Smith count more as an edge or could you project him moving inside at the next level? Thanks for all you do. Keep up the great work. Yeah, Nolan Smith's going to be an interesting conversation and has been uh, because of him being undersized at Georgia. However, comma, him being productive uh, off the edge there. I know some some people say, well, there's no way he'd be able to survive as a true edge guy at, at, at the NFL level. He'd have to move off the ball. Uh, uh, you know, at, at the NFL level, uh, I guess overall, who, who is a guy that regardless of draft slot inside linebacker, I mean, I mean, you're a big Jack Campbell fan mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, you know, I obviously like his tape as well too. I think you're a bit, a little bit higher on him than I am, but, uh, you know, if they were to go at, at a potential impact guy right away early in this draft, I would think it would be Jack Campbell, right? Is that your top preference? If you could choose any off-ball linebacker? Because I, I would go Jack Campbell, yes. Well, he's talking about, you know, somebody, if you're talking about somebody that could come in right away, you know, uh, it, it, I, I don't think how, I don't think it could be any anybody other here. You know, look, you got the Sanders kid out of mm-hmm. uh, Arkansas, but, you know, he he's a converted edge with one year. Uh, off the ball experience, right? So there, yeah. there, there, there's, there's more of a transition element, I think, to him. You know, uh, where I, I don't think you could definitively say, well, if we got this guy early, he could slide right in there and be an instant impact guy. And I think the the, the key part of this question it would be more of a kind of a, you know, an instant impact guy. Yeah, uh, but there's also Trenton Simpson. Now there's a question about exactly where he fits, but you know those are kind of the viewed as the top off-ball linebackers. I would choose Campbell into the question of does it feel like that, that room is still lacking to to a degree? And I'm just you know at some point you got to draft a guy and really invest in in that sense of things because the free agency route has been so poor and just so never ending. And I understand the draft's no guarantee, and Devin Bush was a big whiff and and all that stuff, but. Um, at some point, you got to go back to the draft as opposed to just trying to sign veteran free agents every single year, which is essentially what they've done for the last, I don't know, three, four or five years. And look, the most intriguing uh, uh, potential guy, not not first or second round, I think maybe that that you could uh, add in this that that'll be interesting to watch where he goes and and how he's used would be, you know, uh, uh, the, the Nick Herbig kid, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, because he's more to a mid to later round guy. Uh, he was an edge, uh, at, at Wisconsin, good production there, but, uh, there's been all that talk about, he's probably going to have to move to off the ball, uh, at, at the NFL level. And then there's the whole, you know, bloodline thing going back to the Steelers there. So not necessarily a guy that you would qualify as saying, well, you get him and he's an instant impact guy, but could he potentially be a guy the Steelers look at? that, you know, not get in a hurry with that, that maybe could wind up being 
you know, ha- having a inside linebacker role with the Steelers of some some way, shape, or form. With Herbig, yeah, he feels like a Steelers guy. Can play the edge. I think he'll fit well off ball, aggressive. I think he'll be a good special teams player. And um, obviously, the the relationship there being the brother of Nate Herbig and Pittsburgh loves their Hawaiians. I had the article over the weekend too that of the nine. I believe nine Hawaii Hawaii born players on rosters right now. Pittsburgh has three of them. So go out of fourth, I guess. Okay. Uh, Finn from uh, overseas writes in Finn from Ireland here. Long time. Second time. Thanks for all the great work you do. Uh, he says, I have two questions. When teams keep restructuring a contract every year, my understanding is the dead cap for the remaining years for the bonus is compounding. Uh, and he has parentheses, the original prorated dead cap plus the new bonus prorated dead cap. Is there a way of avoiding this or, th- or, or do they eventually just eat the dead cap? He says, do you think, uh, and, uh, so let's answer that first portion. Uh, I think kind of the way you described it here is correct overall. Look in, in the year where the proration is of a signing bonus that does not move. But if you let's say if you did restructure a guy year to year, yeah, you're adding on to to uh, whatever proration is on that year. So I guess you could say it, it does stack up there. You don't you cannot move the proration from one, you know, uh, it has to be stacked like that on top of previous pro proration, depending on the year, obviously where, where you do the restructure at. So I think the way you described it in your head here is technically correct here. Uh, but, but you asked, is there a way of avoiding the, to eating dead cap? Well, the hope is that you do when you, when you do these restructures, you hope that the player just, just plays out the final year of his contract. Now, obviously, let's say you did do a guy in multiple years of 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 of, of back to back, let's say restructures. Uh, whatever the final year of that deal is has a, a, a you know fairly significant cap hit because there is a lot of restructure money in there. But your the hope and the reason you do these restructures on the guys that you do the restructures on is that you're hoping. When you get them to that final year, they just play out that final year or you do another extension, which lowers the base salary in that final year, which helps offset those previous restructures as well. Right. So is it unfair? Is it incorrect to say eventually you have to reckon with your can kicking or can you feel like you can still work around it if everything kind of breaks perfectly for you? Well, look, I mean, the, the, the proration is the proration. You still, because it's raising a player's cap hit, you still have to work around that aspect of, of the original, you know, whatever year you're talking about, you know, the final year, uh, whether it be fourth or fifth or whatever, you know, however long the contract was for originally there, assuming mm-hmm. you're not adding void years to it. I mean, there's an element that you still have to project around because you're raising the players, uh, cap charge through, through, through these prorations, but you, you're, you're still eating. You got to eat that bonus proration at some point. You're just choosing to eat it later, uh, than, than earlier. Right. And I guess the other thought is the cap will continue to go up and it'll be a smaller percentage of that money three years from now. Yeah. And and, and the other element, as I mentioned, there is you get to that final year there, uh, 
maybe you're extending the player again and then say that player has as part of that cap charge like a $13 million base salary. Well, as part of the extension, you're going to work down that final year of, 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 of that soon to be expiring contract. You're going to work down that, 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 that cap charge of that year through part of the extension, but the okay. proration money still stays in the year that it was prorated to. Can I ask you just a really random, but semi-related question and just want to get your thoughts on it, Dave, about the sure. cap. What would the NFL look like if there was no salary cap? What, what oh. kind of impacts would there be? I mean, it's probably impossible to answer. You can go in a million different ways to try to answer that question. But would the league be better or worse off if there was no salary cap uh, similar to baseball? Well, you just have the the, the, the teams that want to go out and, and buy, 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 you know? So I, I, don't, I don't think uh, not having a salary cap in football would severely hamper the smaller, uh, you know, I, I'm assuming you'd still have the revenue share and all like mm-hmm. that, but you'd still have the deep pocket owners who would be willing to go out and just spend crazy, crazy money because they would not have to deal with uh, the cap aspect of it, potentially trying to buy championships every year. All right. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. That's basically what's happening in baseball right now. just wanted to get your, your quick thoughts on that. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, now look, I, I don't understand the whole process of major league baseball and all, but you know, uh, it does seem like the teams with the money go get the star players, right? Yeah. The Dodgers versus the pirates or the athletics, for example. Also another question, and this is more of a, a fact-based thing. When did the salary cap start in the NFL? I, I assume there was no salary cap in 1933, but I'm just, when did that get instituted? Uh, yeah, was there a reason that pushed them to go to that? Or just the league realized we were getting so big, we kind of have to maybe have some parameters here. But I mean, free agency wasn't a thing in the 80s. So it wasn't like you were buying players back in the Well, 80s. I, I, I think free agency started the talks. Once free agency started coming into vogue, I think that started, you know, the talk be, uh uh, of, of salary cap and all like that. I, I don't remember the exact process of it. Uh, okay. You'd have to go back and read a lot of the old newspaper articles, I, I would imagine, uh, within that. But, uh, you know, because it used to be you, you uh, players, you just owned the rights to players, right? Right. And I I know that there was probably some free agency in the 80s, but like Reggie White, I guess, in the early 90s was kind of the start when the NFL really instituted free agency. I just was curious on the history of it, if there was a reason, something that occurred for this, the NFL to say, OK, we have to, to change the system or just kind of a natural progression as the league got bigger and bigger. What the what the roots were of the salary cap in terms of the NFL's history? Yeah. Uh, first introduced in 1994. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So it was with like the Reggie White and, right. and all that. Yeah. What was the uh, what was the cap in '94? Is there a number on that? Like fifty million or something? I don't know. What crazy, crazy number it would have been back then. Uh, let's see if we can find out here. The cap was first introduced in '94. Was expected to be thirty-two million, but an unexpectedly high bid from Fox and other networks increased the cap to thirty-four point six million in '94. And now that gets you. Not even Daniel Jones at this point. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, it's crazy how it escalates and has escalated there. All right. Anything else from the emo machine? Uh, no, I think we got most of them out of the way there. 
All right. Good deal. So, yeah, Dave and I will have the live stream tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern time for an hour, and we'll come back on Wednesday. All right. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, theterriblepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, go to SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button, up right navigational bar. Also, if you like an ad-free version of the site, go to SteedersDepot.com. Hit the ad-free button, up right navigational bar, and follow the directions that way. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday talking about something. Maybe they'll have a couple of these new signings in, uh, doing some interviews with those guys guys or whatnot but we'll figure out something all and uh, uh additionally like we said we hope we'll have a round table uh discussion uh later this week in an episode of of, of of the podcast so as always thanks for listening to the terrible podcast with dave and alex USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply.